Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in the book of Romans chapter number four. Romans chapter number four. And then in just a moment, we will also be in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. So in our services, we have been for some time studying the book of Romans. We're going to back up a little bit today in Romans and use it as our launching pad. Romans chapter 4. And then we'll be walking through several different passages today in the book of Genesis. So Romans chapter 4, before we get there, let me ask a question. How many of you have ever used the expression before as it pertains to a lot of different circumstances, settings? We use the expression, well, it's about time. Now, now we have today for the first time a lot of people in the auditorium that have not been with us previously. Today, here at Campus Church, we're welcoming back a lot of college students that are here to attend Pensacola Christian College. So there could have been, I'm just, I'm just guessing, I don't know that this was the case, but there could have been some college students who were engaged over the course of the summer. And finally, someone popped the question and he said, will you marry me? And it could have been that your first response was, well, it's about time, okay? That you've been waiting for that question and you finally got it. And maybe it was your mom that said, well, it's about time, he asked so. We, we ask that question about all kinds of things or we make the statement. I mean, it could be something as simple as, um, do you ever watch the neighbors? Do you ever see what the neighbors are doing? And you could have been, you know, looking out the window and, and you hear, you know, your wife say, well, Harry's mowing his yard and it's about time. You know, that kind of an idea. I mean, and it could be something like uh, what happened today. We live in Florida, Pensacola, Florida, and we have had an unusually large amount of rain over the past, I was going to say weeks, but literally months. We've just gotten a lot of rain. And uh, this morning, maybe you looked up and you saw the sun and you had a conversation. Said, well, it's about time. You know, that idea, because we've been waiting to see it peek through those rain clouds for quite some time. The expression communicates that we've been anticipating something. And whatever it was, it didn't meet our schedule or our timetable. The character that we're going to look at today, our, our primary focus, may have been tempted to look at God and say, God, it's about time. It's about time. I don't know what's going on, of course, in your life, in your setting, your circumstances, but does God ever meet your timetable in ways that are consistent with with what you think he should be doing in other words aren't there times when we consider what it is that God's doing how he is placing different things along our path aren't there times when we say God when when is this going to happen and why hasn't this happened And our timetable and God's are seldom synonymous. And we look at God and we say, well, when's it going to happen? And and we finally see when, when we get through that time of waiting, someone could have actually said to God, well, God, it's about time. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 4. Look down, if you would, Romans chapter 4, verse number 1. Let's start in verse number 1. Romans 4, 1, here the Bible records, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, 
as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Now notice the, the recorded words of Abraham's testimony. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. His belief counted for righteousness. Now, skip down to verse number 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. This is the title of our message today. It's about time. Now, I do want to point out something that's important for us to at least acknowledge, that we're going to see a man who's whose Old Testament human earthly reality was somewhat imperfect. But we're looking at him through the lens of the Old Testament. This is in many ways, not just figurative, but there is some reality to this. We seem to see the Old Testament saints in their humanity. And then it's as if God takes their Old Testament character and passes them through the reality of the cross. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that which every Old Testament saint was anticipating, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And now we see Abraham on the other side of the cross and his faith is perfect. There's nothing missing. There's no weak point. There's no stumble or struggle. It's why the Bible can take a guy like Lot, Abraham's nephew, who was a clear rascal in the Old Testament and place him in the New Testament and give him the title just Lot, as in justified, standing before God without spot or blemish. And you know, that's how God sees you as well. He sees you in the lens and in the light of the New Testament having passed through the cross, and now you stand perfect in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. We're gonna look at Abraham's faith today, and we're gonna see him as we sometimes see ourselves, not in light of the cross, not in light of Jesus, but just the, the frailties that oftentimes we see in ourselves and, and maybe see in others as well. Your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 12, in just a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse number one. Now, the first thing we're going to notice about Abraham and his faith was we're going to see a delay, the delay. There is something that he's looking for, he's expecting, he's anticipating, and it's just flat out not there. Now, he has reason to expect it. He, he has some understanding like, yeah, I, I, I know this is coming because God made some promises to me. The first thing that we notice in this delay is there was a promise declared. And when this promise was declared, Abraham's about 75 years old at the time. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse number one. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto that land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. 
And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. If you flip a page in your Bible and look at Genesis chapter 13, verse number 16, notice again what is said. And I will make thy seed. This is the promise declared. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. You know, a promise declared is one thing. It's one of those things that that when it is made, God is saying, now hold on to this until I give you the next thing. A promise declared. God saying, okay, here's something for you to, to wrap yourself around. Maybe there have been certain promises of God throughout different stages of your life that you have just held on to. You said, God, you knew what I needed at that stage, at that age of my life. And those promises are found all throughout scripture and they can be very personal to you. Like, God, how did you know that I needed that then? How does God know what what Moses needs when he's telling him, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're gonna be my leader that will bring out the children of Israel from captivity. How does he know this? He knows that God is giving him a promise to hold on to because God says to Moses, in no uncertain terms, certainly, I will be with thee. What does Moses need at this time? He needs a promise from God. He needs to know there's something I can hold on to. And they're all throughout scripture. For example, Isaiah 41, verse number 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. This is a promise from God. It can be just as much yours as it is anybody's. He, he goes on there, they're everywhere. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse number nine. And he saith unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I suspect that there may be many in this room, many that are watching, who'd say, I've held on to that promise on many occasions. How about Hebrews chapter 13, verse number five? He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says, I'm not going anywhere. Listen, you may wander down this path, but I will never leave thee. Once we have been made one, there is no rending that union. What promises are you holding on to right now? They're available to help anchor you to the truth when the winds of adversity, when when the uncertainties and doubts begin to flood your mind. We go back and we say, God, I need an anchor for my soul. And what are those anchors? They're the promises of God. Repeatedly in Joshua chapter 1 over and over and over. In fact, it's a good little personal study to just walk through and find out how many times does God say personally to Joshua, not through Moses, not through anyone else, God saying, Joshua, don't be afraid. Joshua, I have called you to this. Fear not, Joshua. In Joshua chapter one, verse nine, have not I commanded thee? 
Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Joshua finds himself in some uncertain territory. He's never done this before. He doesn't have a leader that has done this before. His leader had gotten to the brink of Jordan, but never beyond it. In fact, all Moses was able to do is to be able to go up to a mount and peer into the very place where Joshua would plant his feet. What is it that God has before you right now? You say, I've never been this way before. I've never done this before. I don't know exactly what I'm doing. And he says, be not, don't be afraid. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. I'm telling you, Joshua, you have what you need because God is going with you whithersoever thou goest. Those are good commands, good promises to hold on to. Well, this is a promise declared. He's 75 years old. I I suspect he held on pretty tightly to that, but 10 years has gone by and now it's a promise delayed. I mean, this this has taken a while now and nothing has happened. Skip forward a little bit in the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 16. We're just gonna do kind of some highlights through the life of Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 16. He's now 85 years old. And so promises declared, they're one thing, but promises delayed are another. Promises delayed. Genesis chapter 16, look down at verse number one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. But Abram, and Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. So often we are looking for God to work and it seems as if God is simply gone silent. He's gone dark. I mean, I mean, God, where are you when I need you? Why don't you provide for me some, some new direction, some new indication of what you're doing? And God says, listen, what I gave you until I change or alter that command, you function underneath that call. I told you what I'm doing, so now you hold the course until I am the one who redirects or I am the one who actually fulfills and completes the promise. But Abram now, he's, he's in this land of, of delay. He, he's wondering where is the reality of the promise? I, I know it was declared, but it's not happening. When we look for God to work and God seems silent, we struggle. The psalmist had to remind himself of this. In Psalm 119, 82, he says, Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? My eyes fail. Lord, I'm looking for something, and they have failed to see it. And I've been looking. I mean, my, my eyes are keen on the expectation. I'm looking for something, and my eyes fail. Lord, I'm just telling you straight up, I haven't seen what you have promised. And sometimes when we get in this time of delay, we start to question the nature and character of God. May I say without reservation that God never waits to deprive us of something good. He is developing us into something greater. God is not delaying by holding something good from you. He's actually holding something back from you because he has better plans in mind for you than you may have for yourself. 
Notice what it is that God says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Did you see that? Therefore will the Lord wait. Why? Because he wants to be gracious to you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. It means he does everything right. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Not just the, 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 the coming of the promise, wait for him. Well, Lord, you said I could have, you said I would be, you said this was going to, I know, but wait for him. Sometimes we, we wanna fast forward and get to the promise and we're going over the, the one who made the promise. God wasn't delaying for any reason other than that he was being gracious to Abraham. If God always gave us what we thought we wanted, when we wanted it, we would be receiving some lesser thing from his good hand. At times we even ascribe some rather unkind motive to people when they're not operating on our timeline. But if we knew the whole story, our conclusions would be different. Oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Haven't you ever, you know, just kind of tapped your watch, tapped your foot? I mean, wondered where are they? But we just didn't know what it was that was keeping them. Don't presume that you know all that God is doing in goodness in his delay. Well, we, we see that there is, is a promise declared. There's a promise delayed. There is now a promise doubted. A promise doubted. Abraham now is 99 years old. Genesis chapter 17 Genesis 17, look in your Bible there. And God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Now God has already changed Abram's name to Abraham where we pick the narrative up here. And um, it, it may have been, even for, for Abraham, it may have been a little embarrassing. Abram means exalted father. Abram, exalted father. Exalted father with no children. Hey, Abram! Name's very significant in the Bible. Hey, exalted father! Abram. But God doesn't leave his name as Abram when God does not acknowledge Ishmael as the son. That, that was the product of the flesh. In fact, Galatians uses this as a powerful analogy. That's what you could produce, Abram, but that's not the picture of my promise. I, I wanna show you what only God can produce. And so God changes Abram's name to Abraham, not just a exalted father, but now, father of a multitude I mean there, there has to be some measure of faith on Abraham's part first he's exalted father now hey Abraham uh, can you imagine the first time that he had to tell someone my name's not Abram anymore because they knew him as exalted father with no children hey hey Abram I'm sorry that's not my name well oh you changed your name what's your name now uh, Abraham can you see the smile on their face? Father of a, not just exalted father, no, father of a multitude. <laughs> Amen, Abram. How old are you again? None of your business. You know, that kind of an idea. 
Okay, so, so here he is. He's a guy who just sees this promise that, that was declared, but it was delayed. And now this is a promise doubted. God changes Sarai's name. Her name was very personal. It was my princess. Sarai, my princess. But now God changes it just slightly, but significantly. Now it is not just this personal name. Now it's almost this proper title, Sarah, the princess. Not just mine, not just Abram's, not just Abraham's. Now she is the princess of the multitude. She is the one by whom this, this nation will come that, that are like the stars of the sky, like the sands of the seashore. God is delaying, but, but not because he is unkind, not because he's anything but good, and he continues to test their faith. This happens all the time and it will continue to happen. Those who cast some doubt upon the veracity of the claims of God. By, by simple illustration, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is the promise? Scoffers come. Listen, you hold fast to the promise of the one who said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Do you know what we do? We hold fast to the promise. Well, then we see a promise done, a promise done. Sarah now, she's about 90 years old. Abraham, 100 years old. Genesis 21, verse number one. Genesis 21, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Now in my Bible, I have those words actually underlined and circled. I have it underlined. If you mark in your Bible, you may wanna do the same. Look at it again. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And then you're going to get it again in just a few more words. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Just as he said. Just as he had spoken. You know, sometimes we wonder, is that going to be enough? God, am I going to have enough? Am, am I going to have what it takes to do what you have called me to do? Is this going to come to fruition? I know about your call, but God, am I going to have what I need? God made a promise. This is now a promise done. As he had said, the delayed fulfillment of God's promise must have taught Abraham to believe the simple, straightforward promises of God. I'm not sure if God ever says in his heart the words, I told you so, but God certainly, when he told him it would be so, you mark it down, it is so. The delayed fulfillment of God's promise just now washes over Abraham as if to say what he promised he can do. Well, let's go a little bit beyond this delay and, and you'd kind of think, well, hey, that's kind of end of story. 
Everything wraps up. It's kind of nice and, and tidy. I know God made this promise and it was a promise declared and we move through life and it's a promise done. End of story. But seldom does, does life work just in those neat, tidy compartments of end of story. So let's carry the narrative forward and see not only the delay, but now we start to see that there is a dilemma. The dilemma. Your Bibles are open to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. And look again at verse number one. We just see, keep seeing this life unfold before us in, in some fast forward kind of way. Genesis 22, it came to pass. By the way, that's much of life, isn't it? It came to pass. There's some new transition. There's some new stage of life. There's some new challenge, some new blessing, some new opportunity, some new open door. It came to pass. We read a little bit further after these things that God did tempt. We might understand that word as to test. He puts him to the test. The, the, the heat is turned up. That God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. After these things, you know, after what things? After all the things that God had been teaching Abraham. Listen, Abraham could not have been ready for this test earlier. We, we believe that Isaac now is a young man. He's not just an infant child that, that Abraham is about to place. He's a young man. Abraham wouldn't have been ready for that test early on, but... But as he walks through life, as he continues to see God's hand of faithfulness touching his experience, he's now ready for a new test, a new challenge. I wonder what new thing God has in front of you today. Some new test, some new challenge. After these things, then God did. Do you know God is always preparing us for the next successful test and trial? We're readying ourselves. Lord, I want to be faithful in this because tomorrow I'm going to face this. It's not anything that we look at with this fear or apprehension. There is something almost strengthening about knowing I have what I need for the next. So we, we see that these new things are unfolding before them, a new dilemma, a new challenge, a new test of life, a new age, a new stage. He sends him to a place called Moriah. The, the name of this mount actually means chosen by God. It means that God knows what he's doing. Yeah, there is going to be a test. There is going to be a challenge. But, but this is not anything that, that is this haphazard thing about God. He has nothing haphazard about him. He has chosen this person. He's chosen this place. He's chosen this test to all come together for their good and for his glory. Just as God had chosen Abraham and Isaac for this place of testing, God chooses you. He chooses me for our own place, our own test. He does not work with any haphazard aspect, but with purpose, with desire, with intent. Ours is to trust that he knows what he's doing. And to pass one test means that we are prepared to pass another, even greater test. 
Well, we see a couple things with this dilemma. First of all, an unanticipated trial. Clearly, Abraham knows that God does test us. He tries us. He strengthens us through it. But how could he have anticipated this trial? It's an unanticipated trial. Hey, hey, listen, most of the trials in our lives are not those trials that we say, I know what's coming next. Most of the trials in our lives are those things that catch us somewhat unawares. Like I didn't, I didn't anticipate that was going to be my trial. I didn't anticipate that that was my difficulty, that this is my dilemma. How in the world could Abraham have anticipated this trial? But you and I remember that even in this unanticipated trial, he had found that God in the past was trustworthy. He kept his word and he knew that he had only one person ultimately to trust and obey. Remember, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. What is it that God's doing? He's saying, hey, listen, do you trust me? Do you have faith in me? And Abraham's resounding response is, God, I trust you. And so now God says, okay, for your sake, Abraham, for your sake, I'm going to put your faith to the test. And you're going to find that it stands intact. It's this unanticipated trial. Well, when you think about who it was that Abraham knows that there's one person I have to please. There's just one person. If I please that one person, he's going to take care of the lesser things, get the most important thing right first, and then everything else will come into place. Some time ago, there's a guy named John Ken Galbraith. He, he went by Ken. He was an author um, involved in, in politics, social sciences. He wrote his autobiography, and in it, he tells of the devotion of someone that served and worked in his home as their housekeeper. Her name was Emily Gloria Wilson. And he writes about her in his autobiography. Listen to what he said. He said, it had been a wearying day and I'd asked Emily to hold all telephone calls while I took a nap. Shortly after the phone rang, President Lyndon B. Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. Um, he's sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. Um, no, Mr. President. I work for him, not for you. <laughs> when I called the president back, he could scarcely control his pleasure. Tell that woman I want her here at the White House. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what's impressive about the story is she, she knew who she answered to. You know, so often we, we get confused about, about who it is that we're listening to, the pressures that are placed on us. Like, wow, I, I feel crowded in and what am I supposed to do? Remember, you have one person to please and that's the one who called you, the one who strengthens you, the one who directs and leads you. Well, he understood this is an unanticipated trial. A guy named P.T. Forsyth, he was a, a, a Scottish theologian he lived um, back at the turn of the 20th century. He said something quite insightful. He said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Ooh, good insight. The first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but to find who is my master. And I will submit to you, you will serve one of two. And one is a good master who has only your good 
conclusions in mind. He is a loving father and he wants you to know him personally. And there's another who wants to master you. And he has anything but goodwill in store. The Bible says that that the enemy, the devil, comes to, to, to kill, to steal, to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The duty of every soul is not to find first its freedom, but to find first its master. And Abraham understood, God, you are the one that I seek to please. Well, it was an unanticipated trial, but there's also this unthinkable severity. It's it's unthinkable. God now asks Abraham for his son, not for his servant, not for the steward of his house, not for the one that he birthed, Ishmael. God asks for the promised one. How unnatural a test. Could Abraham go against the natural paternal instinct to protect his own son? This is the great dilemma, but look at how he resolves this decision. The decision Abraham believed and therefore obeyed. He was simply acting upon what he knew to be true. We do the same all the time. We act not on what we think we believe. We act on what we believe. That upon which we place our faith. And how does he respond? He responds immediately. He, this I have to do. And Abraham arose, Genesis 22, verse number three. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of the young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up and went to the place which God told him of. What does he do? Listen, he goes early, rises up first thing in the morning. Why? Because I am obeying my God and I know who I have to please. He acts consistently. Okay, I know I have a job to do. I I know I have a a mission that I'm on. He, He not only starts immediately, but now throughout this, he acts consistently. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, yes, but on the third day, verse number four, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I will go with the lad yonder and worship and come again unto you. On the third day, takes him three days to get to where they're going. Have you ever made a decision, but your resolve softened shortly after the decision? And this we will do. Ah, but you know, maybe we should reconsider. Yeah, God called me to this, but now, oh, I didn't know all that was involved. And you know, the more I think about it, maybe I could resolve it this way. What what does he do? Three days to think about what is before him, Moriah. And God asked me to sacrifice my son. I'm telling you, he not only acts immediately, he acts consistently. This is what God called me to do and God has not rescinded that direction. And then finally, it is completely. Verse number nine, they came to the place which God told them of and Abram built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood and Abraham Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He is obeying completely. In verse 11, the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And his heart pounding, his chest heaving, and I think his hand trembling. And God calls his name twice. 
he, the, the knife is literally raised. Abraham, Abraham. How is it that Abraham responds to the great trial that's before him? He obeys completely. He had already said the blesser is more important than the blessing. Do you know, sometimes we get that confused. And if you're a parent in this room right now, many times we become more consumed with the blessing of the child than the blesser who truly is the one with whom that child has to do. And oh, how our attention becomes sometimes solely wrapped around the the, the protection and the care of that child. You know, I think it would do us well to at least ask and answer briefly the question, how do we give our children back to God? Lord, I know I'm a steward, but not literally an owner. I know you've given me responsibility, but, but ultimately, Lord, these children are yours. How do we give our children back to God? The first thing is we understand that you never owned them in the first place. God, these children are yours. The Bible says in Psalm 127, verse 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. Heritage of the Lord. And then if we interpret the second half in light of the first, it goes on and it says, And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Sometimes we say, oh, the Lord, the Lord rewarded us. No, no, no. Children are in heritage of the Lord, his heritage, his reward. You know, if we, if we rightly remember, God, these children belong to you. We have understood correctly the ownership of a child. What do we do? Number two, we recognize that we have the privilege of temporary custody. Lord, I have these years and they go by so fast. Every age has its own special joys, its own special challenges. But Lord, I have temporary custody. And there is a time, Lord, when I have to understand I can't be there for that. I can't do that. I can't insert myself into this. Lord, I I, I release that child into your care. Temporary custody. And then number three, we're more concerned that they become like God than you. Be more concerned that we pass on something of his heritage than our own. Now, so often our children take on something like, oh yeah, my, my dad did it that way and I do it that way. My mom, this was so special to her and I have, well, that's fine and good, but oh, we should be so much more concerned that they actually take on those characteristics of God than they do of you or of me. That their ultimate goal is to please the one with whom they have to do not people like you and me. Do you know this whole passage resolves in what we would refer to as the deliverance? The deliverance. Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay, and and God interrupted. We don't have time to walk through what this looked like, but you remember that when Isaac asked his dad as they were marching up the mountain, we have the fire, we have the wood, but, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. And then caught in the thickets as God interrupts the knife, he he looks and there is a ram, an acceptable sacrifice, but not a lamb. He was speaking of the deliverer that would come. 
It was John the Baptist that saw Jesus walking towards him as he's baptizing in the river. And John stops and he says, I think with such power in his voice, behold, the lamb, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Not only was Isaac delivered, but, but he speaks of one that is coming and that is the deliverer, Jesus Christ. How does Abraham experience this kind of deliverance? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Campus Church, what God has promised, he is able to perform. When I was a little child, I used to sing in junior church on a regular basis. He is able, he is able, I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. He is more than able to do all that he has promised he would do. Ultimately, Abraham trusted that, that God was better than anything he could give. And truly, Abraham came to the place where he trusted that Isaac was better in God's hands than he was in his own. Such is the case with every aspect of our lives. Is your life better off in your own hands or in God's? Your future, your marriage, your children, your job, your fears and anxieties, your friends, your everything, are they better in your hands? than they are in God's. It appears that an imperfect man such as Abraham learned to trust in a perfect God and discovered that in God's perfect time, he would experience God's perfect will accompanied by God's perfect provision. The question that is left for us is can God be trusted? And if so, will we? Will you?